Hi, I'm Jason Vallett with Vallett Packing House in Edna, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for taking time to join us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, Texas feedlot inventories drop while placements climb. We'll look at the Texas-specific feedlot numbers in the recent cattle on feed report coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley building a farm bill that reflects the voices of rural America. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have comments from the U.S. House Agriculture Committee Chairman on the progress of the 2023 Farm Bill in my report from the nation's capital on Texas Ag Today. Here in the Texas High Plains, we're transitioning from one crop season to the next. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. How do you create more meatpacking capacity at local and regional levels? Proponents say updating an old rule in the Packers and Stockyards Act will help. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. There are less cattle in Texas feedlots than at this time last year, according to the recent Cattle on Feed report. Texas feedlot inventories now stand at 2.81 million head. That's down 5% from a year ago. But placements into the feedlots were up 5% at 455,000 head. Texas feedlot marketings were 415,000 head last month. That's unchanged from a year ago. The market reaction since the report's release on Friday has been somewhat negative, but Oklahoma State University livestock economist Daryl Peel says this doesn't change the overall picture of a shrinking cattle herd. Traders like to, you know, futures traders in particular like to, you know, look for reasons to move the market around short term. It doesn't change the underlying fundamentals and the fact that that we are moving uh, inevitably towards uh, significantly tighter numbers for the foreseeable future. And that's one reason why we've seen fed cattle prices hit new record highs this month. And Peel says those record highs don't surprise him at all. No, it really hasn't. I mean, we've been expecting it, and and, we, and what's happening is very much consistent with what I expected from the feeder cattle market side. If there is a surprise a little bit, it's, it's how fast the fed cattle market got to record levels. Uh, not the fact that they did get to record levels, but perhaps it's a little bit sooner than I expected. Um, but I think, again, that's just a sign of the times, if you will, and, and certainly there's more where that came from. Peel expects fed cattle prices to ease downward during the summer, then make another run higher in the fall. 
There has been two sides of Texas so far this year when it comes to rainfall. West of I-35 is still dry, while East Texas has gotten plenty of rainfall. Jimmy Reed is a cow-calf producer in Anderson County near Palestine. As of right now, I would say we are doing fairly well on rain. We keep getting a, a little bit of rain here and there. It's, you know, this year the temperatures are cooler and our Bermuda grass that we depend on, it doesn't grow well with the cooler temps, but we do have a green in our pastures and the cows are doing good. So yeah, our part of the world is kind of wet compared to West Texas. So yeah, things are looking good uh, right now here in East Texas. Reed says corn farmers in Anderson County have the crop up and growing. It's now about a foot tall. And the outlook for hay production, way better than it was last spring, with plenty of rainfall and a nice drop in fertilizer prices. The chairman of the House Agriculture Committee visited with Texas farmers and ranchers recently in Washington, D.C. Tom Nicoletti was there and has this report. My guest is Agriculture Chairman G.T. Thompson uh, from Pennsylvania. And Chairman Thompson, uh, since the uh, Farm Bill listening session that was held in Texas in Waco uh, back in March, what kind of progress has been made uh, on the Farm Bill uh, to this point? Well, Tom, great to be with you again, by the way. And, you know, we continue to make good progress. And Waco was uh, a great example of that. Standing room only attendance. We got great input, not just from those who testified, but, you know, those who submitted online. We're going to be building a farm bill that reflects the voices of, of rural America and, and, and all the states, including the great state of Texas. Uh, I think we're making good progress. We have more listening sessions to do. Most recently was in Binghamton, New York. Again, standing room only. We've had great hearings. We had uh, Secretary Vilsack before the committee. So we're doing the right things, I think, to build a farm bill that America needs. What about crop insurance? Obviously, uh, Texas farmers and ranchers and others around the country are really concerned about the funding for uh, crop insurance. Well, we need to number one, protect crop insurance, and I think strengthen it. It's a force for good. It really helps our farmers, ranchers, foresters deal with things that are just uncontrollable. The weather, right? Too too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry, too much wind. We're going to work hard uh, to try to strengthen crop insurance. We may try to think if we can. We want to look for ideas that we can learn from the lessons of disaster relief. Disaster relief really comes with uncertainty, which is not good for the farmer and rancher, and it's not good for the lender either. And so maybe there's some things on, that we can uh, in, incorporate into crop insurance. Mr. Chairman, thank you for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much. That is House Agriculture Committee Chair G.T. Thompson. I'm Tom Nicoletti reporting from Washington for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Farmers in the Texas High Plains are transitioning from one crop season to the next. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. As we move ahead into late April, we're in the time when Texas High Plains farmers are typically preparing to harvest winter wheat even as they get their summer crops planted. Well, this year, due to our drought, there will be very little, if any, dryland wheat harvested for grain. And Moore County Extension agent Marcel Fischbacher says a lot of farmers in his area have made an economic decision to not harvest their irrigated wheat. Wheat is one of those crops that the price is not bad at all, but the margins are small. So I know they're probably thinking that they could have a better margin and more potential profit from their summer crops. However, Fischbacher does say some farmers plan to leave their wheat in place to protect against our high winds. They need to make a great 
cover crop. You know, the thing that I will say, uh, especially this year, last year when it blows so much, these cover crops have really helped with the wind erosion, and they probably have actually uh, maybe have helped a little bit with losing less soil moisture and some of that because there was some cover there to hold that together. Now, as to summer crops, Fishbacher says in Moore County, which includes Dumas, he believes cotton acres will hold steady, but corn will lose some ground to sorghum. A lot of the guys, what they told me is that their corn last year, the yields were down. You know, the 150, 180 bushel corn, they can make sorghum work better and they can almost have as good a yield or as many pounds per acre on sorghum. And as to the cattle situation in his area, Fishbacher says, This isn't going to be a building year for the cow-calf guy. It'll be at least next year. Uh, I would say people are needing to let their grass rest and they won't have the extra grass to expand. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. How do you create more meat packing capacity at local and regional levels? Gary Joyner says updating an old rule in the Packers and Stockyards Act may help. Current restrictions forbid livestock auction owners from having a part in the meatpacking industry or even owning a meat marketing business. It's an antiquated rule in the Packers and Stockyards Act. There is interest now to change the rule and expand opportunity for meatpacking capacity at local and regional levels. A bill in the U.S. House and its companion bill in the U.S. Senate do just that. They would allow livestock auction market owners to own or invest in small and regional packing plants. Groups supporting the change include the American Farm Bureau Federation, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and the Livestock Marketing Association. The groups contend the old rule does not fit with the current transparent method of selling livestock at an open auction where sellers can view the transaction either in person or by streaming the auction online. Plus, the demand for local processing and locally sourced meat has increased. The current limited processing capacity relative to the available supply of livestock also harms the bargaining power of livestock producers seeking to have animals processed. We've all seen how supply chain challenges in the livestock packing sector over the last few years have highlighted the need to increase livestock packing capacity in the U.S. Let's hope Congress modernizes the current rule. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has outlined proposed criteria for when a chronic wasting disease surveillance zone may be lifted. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll explain coming up on Texas Ag Today. And detecting pneumonia in young calves can be difficult. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. 
Detecting pneumonia in young calves can be difficult. Dr. Bob Judd says checking facial features can be helpful. On a recent webinar, Dr. Tomazi indicates he always looks at the calf's head and facial features first. He indicates at bovineveterinarian.com that there is so much about the head that can indicate the onset of respiratory disease. He goes on to say calves have itchy, watery eyes, their ears droop, they salivate more, and may be licking their nostrils frequently. As the disease progresses, intermediate symptoms appear, including mild fever, lethargy, sleepiness, slow movement, lack of interest in eating and drinking, and slightly bowed heads. By the time obvious symptoms appear, like heavy breathing, high fever, coughing, head tilt, and thick nasal and eye discharge, it may be too late to save the animal with treatment. Dr. Tomazi indicates at that time, lots of calves have permanent lung damage and lesions. And even if these calves survive to enter the milking herd, just damage to about one inch of the cow's lung tissue decreased their milk production by about 400 pounds of milk per lactation. Also, heifers with lung consolidation at 60 days of age were slower to become pregnant, and those with lung lesions at three months of age were less likely to survive and enter the herd as a milk producer. If diagnosis is delayed, it can prolong use of antibiotics and increase the chance of chronic lung injury, as well as increase the risk of treatment failure and increase the number of infections that recur. So the key is to train employees to examine calves carefully twice daily by examining them completely, starting at the head, and any calf that seems to be a little off should be examined more closely. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has outlined proposed criteria for when a chronic wasting disease surveillance zone may be lifted. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Every time a case of the fatal neurological deer disease, chronic wasting is found in the state, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department takes action to protect the state's native deer population. They do this by establishing CWD surveillance and containment zones to curb the spread of the disease and to monitor its potential spread. TPWD has proposed a few changes to its rules regarding how these zones are established when CWD is found in deer breeding facilities but not in their associated release sites. Dr. J. Hunter Reed, TPWD's wildlife veterinarian, recently discussed the proposal with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission. First, a containment zone will be established, or a CZ, will be established around the infected premise through a THC hold order or quarantine order. Then a surveillance zone will be established two miles from the perimeter of the infected premise. In practice, all properties that are partially or wholly encompassed by the surveillance zone would be subject to mandatory testing and carcass movement restrictions. The surveillance zone would remain in effect until certain conditions are met. These conditions include the infected deer breeding facility must be depopulated or quarantine lifted by Texas Animal Health Commission. Second, minimum of three hunting seasons must have passed since the date of depopulation or lifting of the quarantine order. Three, area sampling has been completed to satisfy a 95% detection probability. And four, area sampling is well distributed across the zone. The department is proposing nine new CWD surveillance zones across eight counties. We'll discuss those on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It is time to check the markets. Jessica will be back with a complete look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. 
Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex traded higher on Thursday, supported by lower corn prices and good consumer demand. April live cattle up 92 cents to 175.45. June live cattle up 62 cents to 165.20. August live cattle up 45 cents to 163.85. April feeder cattle even at 202.67. May feeder cattle up $1.25 to 211.52. August feeder cattle up 62 cents to 231.57. Boxed beef was higher Thursday. Choice up $1.49 to 210.73. Select was up $2.17 to 290.11. Now let's check our livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Phil Brockenbush, Giddings Livestock, our guest. Phil sold on Monday. How did it go, Phil? Larry, we wound up with 1,048 cattle on a on a really good calf market, and the cows and bulls were a little higher than they were last week, so it was, it was good. Walk the pins with us, Phil. All right, your steers, 300 and back, average 232, brought up to 270. Three to four weights, 236 to 265. Four to five weights, 224 to 260. Five to six weights, 206 to 250. Six to seven weights, 192 to 217 and a half. Seven to eight weights, 174 to 212 and a half. Uh, your heifer mates, 300 and back average, 202, brought up to 242 and a half. Three to four weights, 201 to 237 and a half. Four to five weights, 197 to 247 and a half. Five to six weights, 193 to 230. Six to seven weights, 174 to 207 and a half. Seven to eight weights, 159 to 195. Your bull yearlings, seven to 850 pounds, a dollar 35 to 212 and a half. 850 to 1,000 pounds, a dollar five to a dollar 75. Your high yielding bill, uh, high yielding bulls, a dollar 11 to 126. Medium yielding bulls, 95 to 110. High yielding cows, 90 to 107 and a half. Medium yielding cows, 71 to 89. Your little thin cows, 47 to 70. Uh, sold a few pairs. Uh, best one brought 1,700. Your bread cows brought up to 1,550. So it, it was good. You know, we didn't have a whole lot of stock cows to choose from, but a few little young cows sold good. So it, it was a good day. Well, tell everybody uh, how to get a hold of you for that Monday sale. All right, you can call me at 979-716-4395 or call the barn at 979-542-2274. Thank you, Phil, and Texas neighbors, thank you, too, for listening to Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. You're listening to us on Texas Ag Today. Despite a slight increase in domestic demand, lean hogs traded lower on Thursday. May lean hogs down 15 cents to 78.12. June lean hogs down 17 cents to 90.10. 
Block cheese rose 3.75 cents Thursday to $1.68. Barrel cheese was up a penny to $1.59. April Class 3 milk was even at 18.62 a hundredweight. May Class 3 milk was up 31 cents to 16.92. We saw triple-digit gains in the cotton market on Thursday thanks to a strong export sales report and end-of-the-month squaring. The weekly export sales report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture showed running bales were up noticeably from the week prior. July cotton up 204 points to 80.40. October cotton up 135 points to 81.04. December cotton up 146 points to 80.62. The corn market was lower for the sixth time in the past seven days on Thursday. Analysts say that's due to corn exports and inspections being below last year's level and pressure from a lower wheat market. This week's weekly export sales report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture shows export sales in the previous week were up slightly from the week before. May corn down 14 and a half to 627. July corn down 19 and a half to 581 and a half. September corn down 15 and three quarters to 530 and three quarters. May hard red wheat down 14 and three quarters to 778 and three quarters. July hard red wheat down 18 to 765 and a quarter. Soybeans were lower on Thursday due to a cheaper Brazilian crop on the market. May soybeans down 19 and a quarter to 14.26 and three quarters. November soybeans down 11 and a quarter to 12.55 and a half. June natural gas up five cents to 2.36. July natural gas up six cents to 2.55. June crude oil up 53 cents Thursday to 74.83. July crude oil up 45 cents to 74.64. The Dow rose 497 points Thursday to 33,799. The S&P 500 was up 73 points to 4,129. And the Nasdaq up 271 points to 12,126. Well, that wraps up this look at the markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. We hope you join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.